Rooted Week 5. There is an enemy. Weekly Memory Verse. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Colossians 1, 13. Day 1. The enemy is real. The scriptures teach that the whole world is under the rule of a powerful, supernatural being called Satan, who is an absolute enemy of God, his creation, and his people. He is the ultimate deceiver. Once a heavenly angel, Satan rebelled against God's rule in order to establish his own. In Genesis, we saw how, through the serpent, he deceived Adam and Eve and usurped their God-given domain over the planet. He now hides in the ways we see the world, assumptions, values, political and religious systems. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the world is under the control of the evil one. Satan is the god of this world, ruling his counterfeit kingdom of darkness with a hierarchy of fallen angels. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. The worldview of the Bible is characterized by warfare between God's kingdom and Satan's. This is the backdrop of God's redemptive intent. In Genesis 3, God begins to reveal this to his people. Everything God does is determined by his plan to defeat Satan, overthrow his kingdom, and reestablish God's own effective rule over all creation. The whole Bible, therefore, is working toward this end. Paul held this warfare worldview and warns us that the devil schemes against us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6.12 It is of primary importance we understand God was, is, and will be the winner of this battle. The New Testament is very clear that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus signaled a decisive victory by God over the kingdom of darkness. When you were dead in your sins... God made you alive with Christ, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2, 13-15 God and Satan are not on equal footing. It's creator versus created. Though Satan has power, it's nothing compared to the omnipotence of God. With a word, he could wipe out Satan and his army, and in Revelation 19, at the end of time, we see exactly this as Christ conquers all the demonic powers. But as we have previously seen in the Ephesians 6 passage, the war continues even though victory is assured. We do ourselves a disservice by not recognizing that standing for Jesus and his kingdom brings us into conflict with God's staunch enemy. Satan's attack means that we all are vulnerable to sickness, betrayal, financial meltdown, relational loss, emotional despair, and other hardships. One of the primary solutions scripture gives to the problem of why bad things happen to good people is that we live in a war zone. There are casualties. Be assured, God's promises still hold. When Satan and his forces toss our lives upside down, God's spirit fights with us. When we feel attacked on all fronts, he fortifies our efforts with supernatural strength. And when we are down, wounded from a body blow and can no longer fight, God fights the battle for us. In fact, he is always the one fighting the battle for us. We just need to stand firm and resist the enemy by faith in God's strength. And he wins, 
every single time. Daily Response What new thoughts do you have about Satan and his kingdom of this world? What comforts do you find in knowing Jesus is victorious now and in the end? Write a prayer expressing your gratefulness for the victory of Jesus over Satan. Pray for God to bring to mind spiritual battles you are currently facing and claim victory in them through Jesus Christ. Day 2. The Spiritual Realm There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters as we saw on day one of this week, Satan tempted the first humans into joining his rebellion, resulting in their spiritual separation from God. Throughout the rest of the Bible, we see constant warfare against God's people by Satan. So how can we claim victory in this spiritual battle? First, we need to be aware of Satan's schemes so he doesn't outwit us. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Though Satan would love for us to fear him, we also need to remember 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 1 John 4.4 tells us, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We should always remember the devil is a created being, not equal to God. God will destroy him in the end. Next, suit up for the fight of your life. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Ephesians 6, 10-18 This is the spiritual armor that prepares us to face any and all spiritual battles we encounter. These battles are not fought against flesh and blood enemies, but against the powers of this dark world. 
Satan and his demons make it their mission to usurp God's place in our lives, displacing his authority with theirs. We cannot defeat Satan in our own strength, and we can't fight spiritual battles without God's protection and weapons. God provides supernatural defense by giving us his Holy Spirit and his armor to protect us. All our power comes from God's might. God hears us and gives those who call on his name the strength needed to claim victory in any difficulty. There are six elements of God's armor. Each one is as important as the others, and we can't be fully armed and ready for battle without putting on all pieces. The Belt of Truth All truth is God's truth, not, not just doctrinal truth, not just spiritual truth, not just biblical truth. God is the source of ethical, scientific, mathematical, historical, relational, and every other form of truth. As followers of Jesus, we should never be afraid of the truth. We should pursue all truth that comes our way. Satan, on the other hand, is called the master deceiver. He takes truth and twists it. He adds a little lie here and there and makes it seem right. To the degree we embrace truth, we can detect Satan's destructive spin. The foundation of spiritual, moral, and relational truth comes from the Bible. A child of God is called to arm himself or herself with God's word. Jesus gives us a great promise regarding the truth. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John eight thirty one to 32 The Breastplate of Righteousness Righteousness sometimes has a negative connotation in our culture. It seems synonymous with self-righteousness or having a holier-than-thou attitude. That is not the biblical meaning of the word. Righteousness is simply pursuing what is right. Righteousness is not cutting corners at work, not lying to make things easier, not falling into a temptation. It is staying faithful to your spouse, following through on your word, being kind and generous. When we are righteous, we don't give Satan a foothold into our life that he can eventually use to tear us down and damage our relationship with Jesus. Most importantly, the breastplate of righteousness is not ours, it's Christ's. We are only able to be righteous because of Christ within us. It is his righteousness that lives in us. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Well, what does that mean? This has to do with footwear, the foundation of your armor. It doesn't matter if you have the strongest shield and the sharpest sword. If you are slipping around, you're done for. The gospel of peace, or the gospel for short, is the foundational truth that God has created you, Jesus has saved you from your sin, and the Holy Spirit is restoring you and the world. This is the gospel we are to base our life on and tell others about. Satan will do everything he can to undermine the gospel in our life because he knows that our peace and power come from living in this reality. Satan cannot stand against the gospel as it plays out in our life. The Shield of Faith In battle, it was common for the enemy to shoot flame-tipped arrows that would not only cause injury, but also arouse panic and fear. Soldiers would be tempted to drop their shields once they were on fire, leaving their bodies open for further attack. Faith simply means to believe in God and to grab onto the tools he has provided for you. When you find yourself fearful, it is an indication that you've lowered your shield of faith. We are encouraged to do what we must to keep our faith strong. Pray, read the Bible, and stay in close relationship with other believers. The Helmet of Salvation Salvation is not just what happened when we trusted Jesus with our lives. It also means the eventual reality that our victory as a follower of Jesus is assured. 
Satan is a bully who wants us to believe that the sin still tripping us up, the habits or addictions that still entangle us, the pain we cause others, and the fear we still experience are all that should define us. He wants us to buy into his lie that we are weak, pathetic creatures that will never amount to anything. That is not how Christ sees us. Because of his salvation, we are, right now, precious, adopted children of God, being perfected and guaranteed of becoming everything God had in mind when he created us in the first place. The Sword of the Spirit The only offensive weapon in the armor is the Sword of the Spirit, a.k.a. the Bible. Of course, it isn't the Bible by itself. Just having a Bible on your bookshelf or next to your bed or even in your hand is not helpful. It is only as we read, study, memorize, and practice God's word that it becomes alive and active. Tomorrow, we will see Jesus using scripture to keep Satan at bay when he is tempted in the wilderness. In spiritual warfare, it's just not possible to gain victory in any practical way without knowing and applying the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Finally, Paul wraps up his description of the armor of God by addressing prayer. Perhaps it is the most crucial element in battling against Satan and his minions. Prayer demonstrates our active dependence on God. When we turn to him, we acknowledge we need him and remind ourselves of the truths of his word that circumstances around us seem to contradict. When we pray, we remember who God is, what he has done, what he will do, and what he has promised. And not only is prayer a critical part of how we put on the armor God gives us, but when we pray, God gets involved in the battle on a whole new level. Daily Response Where do you recognize spiritual battles in your life? Where do you feel dressed in God's armor to fight them? Where don't you? Write a prayer using the armor of Ephesians 6, 10-18. Go through each piece of armor and how you will wear it in your life and stand strong against the enemy. Day 3. Tempting, isn't it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 15-17 John begins this passage with a clear command, do not love the world or anything in the world. There is no middle ground with this issue. Either you love God or you love the world. You cannot love both. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.
God provides what we need and gives us good gifts, but sometimes we can get too attached to the things of this world. Chasing after a way of life or the way people see us can consume our souls and suck the spiritual life out of us. This leaves us depleted and wanting more of the same fix. Ultimately, we are ineffective in honoring God and building his kingdom. This is exactly what Satan wants. In verse 16 of the passage above, John gives us the three ways we can get sucked into craving what Satan has to offer. Lust of the flesh. Simply put, lust of the flesh means craving physical pleasures. It refers to our physical body or its appetites. Our bodies have many needs and desires, food, sex, affection, shelter, that in themselves are God-given and perfectly fine. However, these same needs can become sin when when taken to extremes. For example, the need for food, when taken to the extreme, becomes gluttony. Or the desire for sex becomes adultery when it is directed towards someone who is not one's spouse. Our sexuality is a gift from God, and as his followers we are called to a life of sexual purity. When we dip our toes or dive head first into the areas he has protected for marriage, we chip away at the most important parts of ourselves. The ability and willingness to wholly trust another person, to completely give our whole selves to another person, to allow ourselves to be fully loved and accepted by another person. These things are eroded every time we step outside the guardrails God has set for us. Romans 13, 12-14 says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The cravings of the flesh can be so strong we feel there is no hope of overcoming them. The good news is Jesus set an example for us when he was tempted in the same way. His temptation came after fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. At that point, Satan enticed him to turn stones into bread in order to satisfy his hunger. Being fully man, certainly, Jesus was so, so hungry. But Jesus responded, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4 We must understand our purpose in life is not to gratify our cravings, but to do the will of our Heavenly Father. Lust of the eyes. These days, we are inundated with advertising images. There are flat screen TVs at the gas pump, banner ads across our email inboxes, and commercials at the movie theater, all touting the thing we didn't know we wanted, but now we just have to have it. It's no wonder we fall into craving material things. Advertisers understand this concept all too well. They flash images on these screens of everything from cars to clothing to soda, all so attractive and perfect and fulfilling. Our lives would be finally complete if we just had that. The grass really is greener on the other side of the fence. James speaks of the extremes people will go to in order to get the things they desire. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. James 4.2 Jesus also had to face down the temptation to covet, and in so doing, he showed us how to overcome it. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and offered to give them to him if he would kneel before Satan and worship. Jesus responded, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Matthew 4.10 
Jesus recognized that to give in to this kind of temptation was to actually worship these things, and to worship the things of the world is to worship the one to whom they belong. Pride of Life Pride could be thought of as the mother of all sins. At one time or another, we all suffer from it. It's the thought of not needing God. The idea that we've got it handled and are doing just fine on our own. The Bible clearly teaches that pride will lead to our downfall. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16:18. It should come as no surprise that Jesus was also tempted in this manner. Satan dared Jesus to show off by leaping from the top of the temple. But Jesus responded, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Matthew 4, 7. If we have been blessed with positions and possessions, we must be careful not to put our confidence in them, because 1 John 2.17 tells us that they will not last. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Jim Elliot, a Christian missionary, once said, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Verse 17 teaches us we will share in the destiny of whatever we give our lives to. If we give our lives to the world, we will pass away and be separated from God for all eternity. If we give our lives to him, we will enjoy paradise with him forever. As the verse says, whoever does the will of God lives forever. Are you living for eternity or for the now? Are you more concerned about laying up treasure for retirement or for heaven? Do you care more about what people think of you or what God thinks of you? Daily response. Where is the love of the world creeping into your life? How does this open the door to Satan and evil? Where is it creating weaknesses? Write a prayer asking God to show you where you love the world in even subtle ways. Day 4. The Enemy Within God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go either wrong or right. Some people think they can imagine a creature which was free but had no possibility of going wrong. I cannot. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. C.S. Lewis The Apostle Paul talks a lot about the struggle between knowing what's right and actually doing it. There is a tug of war going on in his soul, the desire to delight in the things of God and the natural bent towards his sinful nature. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Romans 7, 21-25 Many of us can identify with Paul's struggle with sinful nature in this passage. Paul, in other places in Scripture, refers to this hindering force as the old man, the natural man, or simply the flesh. We were not created with a sinful nature. As we saw in Genesis, God created us very good, and it doesn't stem from our environment. The Bible explains the sin nature came about when humans used their free will to deliberately and consciously rebel against God. But if we are already saved from sin, why do we still struggle against it? Inside us live two natures, flesh and spirit. Before we became followers of Christ, only the flesh ruled in us, pursuing its desires. The flesh was out for self-gratification and incapable of having a relationship with God. When we came to Christ, we were given the Holy Spirit, who has a permanent relationship with God. We live in a state where we are saved, but are also being saved. When we give our hearts to Christ, our sin nature doesn't go away. As a result, these two natures live together until we die. But unfortunately, they don't make very good roommates. The damaged self still wants to gratify its desires, while the spirit wants to draw close to God. It's this battle Paul focuses on in Romans chapter 7. Previously, in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul helps us realize we have died to sin by putting it to death on the cross with Christ. We should no longer offer ourselves as slaves to sin, but as slaves to righteousness. But that is easier said than done, and Paul knows it. So, he shows us a way to defeat sin and give superiority to the Spirit. God's Spirit is in us, drawing us toward righteousness and honoring God. But our sin nature drags us back into struggling with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride. The more we entertain the things of this world like greed, lust, and impurity, the more we want it. If we put ourselves in situations where those things are celebrated, we become more and more numb to the effects of sin in our lives. But it's more than just saying no to our sin nature. We must say yes to the Spirit of God who dwells in us. When we focus our minds on things of God by spending time in His Word, cultivating a lifestyle of worship, and serving people God loves, we are strengthening our fight against the part of us that pulls us away from God. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Romans 8, 11-14 We have a choice when it comes to defeating sin. We now have both the ability and responsibility to live in the way God wants us to live and not to be ruled by our sinful nature. Before we received Christ, we did not have this ability, but now God has given us the power and the opportunity to deny sin's hold on our lives. He expects us to use that power. At Christ's second return, we will experience final victory over the flesh, the redemption of our bodies. At that time, our struggle against the flesh will be finished. Our war against the enemy within will be fully won. But for now, there is still a war going on with daily battles to win. 
Tomorrow, we'll take a look at some practical ways we can win this war against Satan and claim victory honoring to God. Daily Response Where in your life do you experience being a slave to sin and to God's law as Paul does in Romans 7? What are examples of where the flesh is winning in your life? What are examples of where the Holy Spirit is winning? Write a prayer confessing the struggle you have with your human nature. Write any current areas where your sin nature might be winning and call on the power of the Holy Spirit to claim this victory. Day 5. Strongholds. Yesterday, we looked at the power struggle going on within ourselves, the power of sin against the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we are going to focus on why it is vitally important to win this war. The sins of the flesh dishonor God. The unhealthy desires of the flesh are opposed to God and His perfect will. We are constantly choosing between two kingdoms, life and death, light and darkness, truth and lies, freedom and slavery. At times, we may, consciously or not, allow our adversary to have authority or position in our lives. The scriptures call these strongholds or footholds. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you, do, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 16-21 Think about your journaling yesterday where you looked at the personal struggles you have had between sin and the spirit. It is likely your struggle falls into one of the categories highlighted in the passage above. These are not just weaknesses. In the eyes of God, they are direct acts of rebellion against him and what he desires for us. Sin gives the enemy a stronghold in our lives. Even though all legal claims Satan had against us were cancelled when we chose to follow Christ, our willful indulgence of sins of the flesh is like a chink in our armor. Satan can exploit this and try to force his way back into our lives. He is an opportunist, looking for any little crack or foothold we give him in our ignorance or self-pride. He drives in a wedge, tempting us, trying to catch us in weakness, trying to entice us to give in to unhealthy desires and act out in the old nature. It's important we are clear on two points regarding strongholds. First, a stronghold is more than sin. 
Satan has taken a natural desire in us and supercharged it to create something beyond our control. He has twisted a weakness we have into a binding knot where he is holding the ropes. It is not something we can overcome on our own by trying really hard or being really good. A stronghold is a spiritual battle Satan is waging for our souls. The battle is fought in the spiritual realm and is beyond what we can fight without the Spirit's help. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 The second thing we must realize about strongholds is that we usually keep them secret. This continues to give Satan power. The shame or guilt associated with our strongholds keeps them locked inside us, which is exactly where Satan can fuel his lies. As secrets, they weigh on our souls and become burdens onto which Satan continues to pile embarrassment, fear, judgment, despair, and more. Keeping our stronghold secret is the enemy's effective plan of attack. We can often be blind to our own strongholds. They may start out as sin, but if not dealt with, they can spiral down into strongholds. Others may be the result of sin acted upon us, such as abuse or violence against us. Some may be caused by generational sin, something that runs in the family. Regardless of their origin, God has the authority and has victory over Satan's hold on us. How do we ensure that we win victory over strongholds? There are three important steps. 1. Honesty and Confession We need to begin by asking the Holy Spirit to reveal sins that are particular areas of concern. At the end of this section, we've included a list of common strongholds. Once God has shown us our particular areas of sin, we, in turn, must confess them to God. Confession means to call it as it is. For example, don't refer to it as a momentary lapse of judgment. Call it an attraction to pornography or a lustful desire. Don't call it a little indulgence. Agree that it is materialism or selfish greed. Don't call it a prayerful concern. Acknowledge it as gossip. Don't call it irritability when you know it is self-righteous anger or bitterness. God knows what it is, but he wants you to know it too. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 2. Surrender and Repentance This step involves actively, aggressively turning away from the areas in which you know you have sinned, with God's help. Repentance is like saying, I was walking in one direction, but now I deliberately turn and walk in the opposite direction. The book of Acts says, Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 3.19 When we do this, God smiles. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Turning from our old ways in the name and strength of God reveals dependence and trust in Him. He is honored when we faithfully walk toward Him and away from the stronghold of the enemy. 3. Accountability and Freedom We can't do this alone. If it is a stronghold, by definition, it will be challenging to walk away from it. God puts people in our lives whom we can lean on and walk with through this turning from sin. 
When we confide in a trusted Christian friend, we are relying on the body of Christ to hold us accountable, encourage us, cheer us on, and if necessary, drag us along when the going gets tough. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. In our Rooted groups this week, we will be doing this in a way that is sensitive, confidential, and honoring to God and each other. To walk in the Spirit is a moment-to-moment awareness of God's presence and power in our lives. This happens in prayer when we begin with honest confession of our sin, turning away from it, and then yielding to God in all areas of our lives. As we ask the Spirit, who is already in us, to fill us and give us strength to live godly lives, we can set out in his strength to live a life of obedience. 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises us, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Please note, this exercise may be painful and reopen wounds that your rooted group may not be qualified to address. To pursue greater healing, you may need to seek counseling or therapy from a qualified professional in a safe atmosphere. After breaking strongholds, you may experience a new or intensified spiritual battle. You may feel like your new freedom didn't quite stick, or that maybe you don't have what it takes to break free. You don't, but God does, and his power is in you. You have all the authority of heaven to stand in victory over Satan and his ways. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and allows you to walk in freedom every day. Claim that power in the name of Jesus. You are free. Daily Response Prayerfully review the list of strongholds and corresponding behaviors. Circle or list any areas of your life where Satan has a foothold or you have allowed patterns of sin to develop. Read the scripture provided to learn, to learn God's truth and desire for freedom in your life. Confess your behaviors and patterns of sin and ask God to break the stronghold through the power of the Holy Spirit and give you freedom. We gain freedom by renouncing and repenting of the sin that has allowed strongholds to develop in our lives. The following is a sample prayer of repentance, renouncing strongholds, and claiming freedom. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I recognize the power you have given me by the shed blood of Jesus to demolish spiritual strongholds in my life. I confess that I have given a foothold to sin, and I renounce the stronghold of... I claim the truth of, by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, through your power, I take back the ground I surrendered to the enemy. I pray you will enable me, enable me to trust and obey your Holy Spirit so that this area of my life will be in conformity to the image of Christ. Amen.